0: it's the next level they're called Sacrifice and my dad brought it from Europe and it's got all this stuff in it see these guys are like really serious about demonology and it's like they're trying to warn you see these guys knew they wrote their own music but they got their lyrics from this thing called the dark book that's like the bible for demons and here's the creepy part this is their only album And after they made it, they all died in a plane crash. And look at this. The Demon Lord. Terry, come on. Wait a minute. Uh, See, the lyrics in the album tell you how to summon the demons. Now, there's this certain time when these constellations are aligned, when you can open the gate and let the old gods, those are the demons, come through. Well, I checked, and it's like now. Terry, but... What? Terry, this is a record album. But, you see, there are these songs that tell you about the whole ritual for opening the gate. We did it. Here. start by reading this aloud. You know what it means? Gods of darkness. Breeders of chaos. Come forth and take possession of this vile world. And you need blood. Remember when you cut yourself? all in here the hall the geode and look at this the levitation what's that supposed to prove proves we're in big trouble do you ever fantasize about being killed Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy.
1: Due and i'm all
0: out of violent content parental discretion is advised
1: george lucas got ridiculed a lot for many years in some ways he still does for always re-releasing the original trilogy Whether it be special edition, in 4K, you know, in some big multi-pack, you can get Star Wars. Now there's actually a Star Wars release, I think it's from Australia, where it has like all nine films. It has the prequels, it has the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. I mean, like, how many more times can George Lucas re-release Star Wars? But then I read something on the internet this morning that makes me laugh just as much because... Apparently, this isn't just a George Lucas thing. This is a, hey, we have a certain franchise that always seems to make money, so how many more times can we re-release it to milk the, you know, the consumer? Paramount announced this morning that they are releasing an 8 Blu-ray pack of Friday the 13th parts 1 through 8. Even though they've already done this before, they're doing it again. Now this time the big, you know, flashy thing is is parts one through four will be remastered yet again. They're gonna look even better than they did before. They want you to believe that it is worth getting their parts one through four because the screen factory is not as good as theirs. And you get it in a shiny red case. I, I And and the funny thing is, is like I, I saw articles online about it that were saying, you know, the red case is what makes it worth it. And I'm like, okay, you guys have to be like, you have to be satirizing this. There's no way that you're saying that with a straight face. Because how many more times do we have to re-release Friday the 13th? But we're going to do it. And it's going to happen in August. I believe the, the set goes on sale August 10th. So it's out in time for Friday the 13th of that month. Because August to my knowledge, is the only Friday the 13th we get this year so yeah, that's happening so I feel like almost like, you know like Jason and George Lucas should become like good friends, you know, but I don't know I'm going to move aside from that now because on behalf of the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero your favorite podcast host Postmortem Paul, welcoming you back to What What Lurks lurks Behind behind? Podcast Zero. Zero And this week, it is another fan request. Yes, another fan request for a great movie. Great movie from 1987. It's a good little Canadian horror flick. Where the special effects were done in Los Angeles. But the rest of it was all done in Canada. Uh, filmed in the uh, Toronto area. So, it's a Canadian film. That they didn't want you to know was a Canadian film. There's some cool trivia about like the fact that they tried to basically de-Canadianized the movie. They wanted everyone to believe it was an American film but whatever for who cares it's just it's kind of funny but anyways yes episode 95 just coming to you live no, no it's not really but episode 95 directed by Tibor Takis 1987 Steven Dorf's First film feature, The Gate. But first, three things. Three quick things that I want to kind of quickly rip through, and then we'll get into the movie review. First off, number one, Zack Snyder does it again. For me, anyways, I know not everybody cared for his Justice League, and there's a lot of people out there that don't like his DC movies. Fine, we'll move past that. He's returned to the world of zombies. He has given us now Army of the Dead. Which was released just. I don't want to say Friday, was it? May 21st? On Netflix. I know it's also in the theaters in certain parts of the world. Unfortunately, not here in Canada. Um, we still cough, cough, are locked up. Uh, so. Not in theaters in Canada. However, we did get it on Netflix, so yes, I finally got to see it. And my first thing, first off, I enjoyed the movie. I'm going to come out and say that. Secondly, my thing was, was that after I saw the movie, now I always feel like, okay, what did the internet have to say? Which I'm a glutton for punishment because I should know what the internet was going to say. And they said exactly what I thought they would say. They didn't like the movie. Some people did. Again, this is one of those polarizing things. We have half and half, you know... One side really loved it and just took it for what it was. The other side, it was like, it's a Zack Snyder movie and we hate it. Okay, but I don't understand why... I guess my whole thing is, is like... And I'm trying to think of, like, somebody... Like, okay, Melissa McCarthy is an actress that I don't care for. Nothing on a personal level or anything. I just don't find her funny. I've never found her style of humor to be hilarious. And I just don't like her acting. That's it. It, It's nothing against her whatsoever. It's nothing personal. But I'm also not actively going to go out and watch her movies so that then I can go on the internet and go, she fucking socks. Like, no, I'm not... I'm not that kind of person. I guess that's why I have a hard time understanding why all the fuss. Like, Army of the Dead, this is what it was. It was a predictable movie, yes. it's Very predictable. Most zombie films these days are. You're not going to get too many zombie movies with a twist anymore. With the exception of, like, you know, Train to Basan or... I don't know. <laughs> there's not many. Let's put it that way. Um, but the thing is, is Army of the Dead was very enjoyable. And I personally, I think Zack needs to do more horror. He, he seems like he really has a niche for that that genre. You know, I'm, I'm as much as I, I would love to see him continue with DC and superhero movies, I know that, you know, there's that 99.9% chance it's never going to happen again. So I move on from that. But seeing this this was kind of cool this movie was kind of like aliens which is a great flick by the way but it was kind of like aliens but instead of xenomorphs you had zombies and you got like these like super zombies at the same time and whatnot and it's kind of fucked up and weird but it was kind of cool at the same time the storyline itself yeah nothing that we haven't seen before you know there's the one character that refuses to listen to everyone else and is going to do what they want to and they end up being the cause of all the problems and Hence, one by one, people die off and this and that and whatever. Okay, fine, you know. But two things really stood out in this movie. Number one, Dave Dave Batista is solid. He's a great actor. And I'd, I'd like to see him do more of this. Do more serious roles. When he was in Blade Runner 2049, he was fucking awesome. I know he wasn't in it long, but he was in it enough. It was good. It was solid. And then I see this movie. And he's playing like the soldier type, which... Okay, yeah, The Rock does that a lot too. But the thing is is that he can act he can and he he pulls at your emotions like there were times when like i mean i didn't get choked up for this movie okay it's a zombie movie i don't i don't get choked up for zombie movies uh, unless an animal is killed then i'm probably going to be niagara falls but the thing is is that he's still able to work at your emotions even if it's not you know on that oh my god i gotta weep and cry and give me a tissue kind of emotions it's He's still good, you know? And he's believable, and he's sincere in his acting. He needs more of this. Don't get me wrong, I, I like him as Drax in the, in the Marvel Universe, but I also find that they use him as a sort of like a chucklehead, meathead kind of comic relief kind of character, and that sort of bothers me at the same time, even though he can pull it off well. But let's see more of the acting chops, because the boy can do well. The other thing that stood out... I wasn't even familiar with her before this movie came out and now I'm like I need to see more. Tig Nataro is a gem. She is an absolute treasure in this movie. Her humor is definitely on point and every scene she's in is just gold. She was the one, one character in the whole movie that no matter what, when she was on the screen I was like completely dialed in. I was like alright I need to see this because she stood out like an absolute gem and I know I talked with people after the movie, and there was, a, you know, um, Ben, who runs this network of podcasts, you know, he's been following her for some time, and he said, oh, my God, dude, she's hilarious, she's great in everything she does, and it's not... I had never even heard of her up until this film, and now I'm, I'm like a lot of other people that, you know, are discovering her, and we're like, all right, let's see what else she's got out there. Um, so, yes, my personal opinion of Army of the Dead, for me, it worked. It is what it is, it's a stupid zombie movie that is supposed to be enjoyable and you turn your brain off and you just watch it. I admit, yes, the runtime is a little long. Zack Snyder's got a thing about long movies. I probably would have shaved off about good, you know, twenty to twenty minutes to a half hour, but at the same time, I'll be fair, I didn't even really notice it was that long because the story was pretty much engaging the whole time. There's maybe about like a ten minute element somewhere in the middle that was kind of like yeah you're losing me a little and then all of a sudden it's boom we're back into the action so army of the dead for me i don't understand the fuss i thought it was a gem moving on to another polarizing film this one i had stayed away from for some time because i heard so many horrible things about it finally decided i was like okay first off i'll lead into the story why this happens For whatever fucking reason, I saw a picture of the Wicker Man on the internet, you know, Christopher Lee, like, from the Wicker Man, and it inspired me to watch the movie. So I watched Wicker Man from 1973. I love this movie. This movie, I love all the cerebral little digs it throws at, you know, normal society and how, like... If you take away some of that, like sexual innuendo and the well, the sexualism in the in the movie, and you kind of replace it with like you know the bullshit of like modern era times that we live in right now, that movie has a lot to say. So, anyways, I watched that and I was like, I'm kind of in the mood, and I knew that Midsummer or Midsummer, however it's pronounced, was somewhat like Wicker Man. So it's like. It's on Amazon Prime, so I don't even have to technically pay for it because I already have the Prime account. I'm like, eh, do I really want to give it a go? I finally decided to watch it, and I did. And I walked away from it rather impressed, actually. I love the one thing that I really loved about the film. And the thing is, is that with this film, it's a very cerebral film. It's not... This isn't one of those movies where you can turn your brain off for it. I mean, you could if you want, but then, as some people have pointed out, they find this movie very boring and they find it a waste of time. Because I think it's supposed to pull at your brain strings a bit and make you think about different things. For me, I love the subtle and sometimes contrarian uh, commentary the film made. Um, The idea of, and this is something that I wish more people thought about in this current era we're living in, is that sometimes the guy on the other side doesn't understand your viewpoint because they see things differently? So basically, with Midsummer, you have the uh, the the Americans and there's two from you know London, England or whatever. So the more modern era people versus these like more secluded, old time pagan believing like settlers they're they're both going up going to approach life in different ways and i like the fact that it sort of lets you see it through both eyes and i mean depending on the type of person that you are going into the film you may either think that one side or the other is completely batshit crazy or you may actually sit there and go hmm you know in is in as such an insane way of looking at it some of it kind of makes sense and that's what i really liked about this film it's far from being a typical horror film that's for sure it's not it's not a slasher it's not you know blood guts and gore there i think there's what and keep in mind i didn't watch the director's cut i know the director's cut is out there and eventually i'll tackle that one but for right now i'm talking theatrical release There's a bit of gore, there's a bit of blood and stuff, but I mean, like, it's, it's very quick, it's not, it's not a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, okay, and I'm talking about the later ones that had all the blood and gore and stuff. This movie had something to say, which, at the same time, I will say that most horror films actually do have something to say, despite what, you know, popular opinion is, um, but this one specifically had a lot to say. And I think that it, this movie is, it's, it's a very dreadful film. I mean, honestly, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority when it comes to the film itself. I know that there is a lot more hate for the film than there is love. Even though when you go on the internet, you know, it says it's got like 83% like approval rating and it's like a 7.1 out of 10. And, you know, Oh, critics love this movie. Yeah. Critics did, but not so much fans. Um, I mean, you go on IMDb alone and just read the fan reviews. Oh, holy shit. I've seen some hysterical shit in my time, but th- these people hated this movie. And I, again, this was why I was so apprehensive in watching it for the past, like, I don't know, year or year and a half it's been out. And I was like, ah, do I really want to tackle this? Which was sad when you think about it because I loved Hereditary. And done by Ari Aster, it's like, I should love this movie but I read so much shit, which again, sometimes I, I, and I say it myself, why do I read reviews? But it wasn't even reviews though. Sometimes it was even like people that I knew that had seen it. They were like, oh man, don't waste your time with it. Mm, All right. You know, but I'm also that kind of guy that eventually I'm going to give in and watch a movie because I have to know for myself. And I'm glad with this movie that I did that. I'm glad I gave it a chance. I will admit it's not a movie for everyone, but for me, it's a, pretty solid movie and the, it, the performances alone as well, like by the actors uh, Florence, is it Florence Pugue, is that how you pronounce her name? She's magnificent in this fucking movie, like, and as I even had like one friend of mine who didn't like the movie, he did follow it up with saying, but the movie's shot beautifully, yes it is, it is absolutely a gorgeous film on the screen whether or not it's your type of story, well, Okay, like I say, maybe not a movie for everyone. Now, my final thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to do this as quickly as I can because, one, I don't want to spoil a lot because I think everyone needs to see this. But secondly, just so happens that just today in my social media memories, you know, they they tell you your memories from the past so many years and whatnot. Well, four years ago today, the trailer was released for season 1 of Castlevania and it was an anime and I remember the people that complained. Oh, and even I even on my memories there were comments in like for me I was like I'm all on board. I I've been on board with this Castlevania since the very beginning. But there were even comments within my post on my own social media account of people saying, well, I wish it was not an anime. I wanted a live action movie. I think this is going to suck. And it was like, and for me, I was just like, hey, man, it's Castlevania and they're doing something with it. I'm I'm in. Well, four years later, we got season four. And I did say on the last episode that I was going to watch season four. I was pushing it off a little bit because, to be fair, I didn't want it to end. And I knew that this Season 4 is the final season for this said property. Now, we have also been told that there will be a new series somewhat spinning off from this. The way Season 4 ends, I do get a few ideas where they may go with that. But I don't want to get too hyped up in case I'm wrong. But I will say this. Season 4, Castlevania bravo bravo castlevania bravo as i i wrote on all my social media accounts i god damn perfection um and here's the thing so it's 10 episodes and the first five are really good as a matter of fact that first episode just starts off as full-on action and then you got your you know your character building episodes again because you have to have that in order for that in order for the finale to work, you have to build this up. So I get it. So, you know, the first episode's really solid. Second one, you know, a little bit more talky. And, then you know, a third and a fourth one go along. Get to the fifth episode. And I'm like, okay, I'm at the halfway point. So now, this next half of the season, episodes six through ten, this is it. This is where it all comes together now. So I'm expecting this. And, I watched the episode, I believe it was the sixth episode, called You Don't Deserve My Blood. I had chills from how amazing that episode was. Like, I had goosebumps. I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. I didn't, to be fair, you watch an episode that good, you don't think any other episode can be that good. You're like, fuck, that just set the bar so high. How are they going to top this? And then I watched the last three episodes. Episode nine alone. Episode nine, which was the episode called The Endings. When this episode ended, I mean, first of all, you could have heard a pin drop in my room. Well, I was, I was, I watched it with the dog. (laughs) My dog was my partner in crime. He's, he's sleeping on the couch. I'm sitting there watching this, this episode. The episode ends, and I swear I sat there for at least two minutes, just digesting this. I was like, "What (laughs) did I just watch?" It was mind blowing, and I'm keep in mind I already said episode six. You don't deserve my blood was a mind blowing episode, so I'm like, you can't. There's no way they're gonna top this. If anything, will it'll equal out. And I watched the episode for the endings, and I... Seriously, two minutes. I didn't start episode 10 right away. I I paused that shit, and I was like, I, I gotta soak this in. Like, what did I just watch? It was absolutely amazing. I was speechless. Then, I go on to the final episode, which is called It's Been a Strange Ride. You couldn't find five words to better sum up this whole series. Because it was emotional it was wonderful it was great and again like I just sat there I didn't move like I just was in awe at what I was watching and it absolutely perfect I've watched a lot of television lately and I mean like there's a lot of tv shows that I have you know I I really love certain finales um I was a big fan of the TV show Arrow. Their season five was one of the greatest, should have been finales. I mean, I get they cared, they wanted to continue it on, but if they would have stopped at episode like the or season five, I probably would have like absolutely loved it. Um, but when I think about like some of the Star Wars TV series like Clone Wars ended amazingly Rebels was Rebels is easily my favorite of all the animated shows although the Bad Batch is pretty good but Rebels is still my favorite um, and I put that that shows up at a very high bar um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Angel those were two shows that I, I, I put up very uh, on you know very high pedestals and whatnot. But I honestly think, and I mean, this is also including the fact that I love Mr. Robot too, but Castlevania, I think, in terms of series, like like story series, not anthologies, because Tales from the Crypt is, is one of my favorites and Adam's Family is one of my favorites and whatnot. But in terms of just like a series that told one consecutive story throughout its entire run, I think Castlevania took took top notch. Like, absolutely perfect and I mean as much as I'm looking forward to seeing what that new series is going to be that you know the creators are going to be giving us this is going to be a very tough act to follow because this is a, in my opinion this is a perfect show it's a 10 out of 10 like it, it's dead-on perfect there were, I had no complaints I loved every bit of it so that's the three things I wanted to talk about I know I kind of rambled and I tried to do it as fast as I could probably you know Talked a little too fast at certain times, whatever. But yes, uh, Army of the Dead, take it for what it is. I mean, it's a zombie movie. It's an action movie. Have fun with it. Don't think too hard on it. Midsommar, well, I finally watched it. I don't understand. Well, I mean, I do understand why some people don't like it. But for me personally, it worked really well. And Castlevania, absolutely two thumbs up absolute 10 out of 10 if you have not watched this series yet i highly recommend it and try to put if you're not a fan of anime try to forget that aspect of it because i'll be i'll be honest with you the animation is gorgeous this is a lot better than just your typical chibi little anime stuff so that's my thoughts on those three things it's now time to move on to the trailer timeout for The Gate. The Gate, like I said, is a fan request from a listener of the show. She's a personal friend of mine, but at the same time has been a fan of the show and a fan of many of my reviews. Uh, my friend Nicole Wood. Uh, she actually just recently started up her own YouTube channel. Um, she posts her own, like, music channel. She's a piano player. And very good one at that, uh, I will say that. But she's, uh, she's starting up to, like, try and put some of her stuff, you know... Out in the world of YouTube and whatnot. So, if you are into like you know watching those kinds of videos, you know seeing how someone progresses through you know learning new stuff and practicing and whatnot, uh, give her give her a look up. It, she it, her channel is called Nicole Wood. So, just uh, check it out. But now, trailer time out. And when we return, our shared Deadcast experience is a movie. Now, believe it or not it's preview it took place in hell michigan directed by tibor takas from the great white north in canada uh the gate when we return back in a splat kids there is a passageway to the most
0: evil place you can imagine a gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs Now, someone has opened the gate.
1: There's this weird tearing sound. The decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh no. Oh, no.
0: The tearing out air oh. by the hands. Oh, I'm calling the police. You got demons. Ah! I mean you guys were serious about that demon stuff? ...have opened the gate. Pray it's
1: not too late. Okay, for a few moments here, this is me completely out of character. This is not me being postmortem Paul. This is just me being me in saying something that was really cool and uh, very humbling, very awesome... Last week, I released episode 94 for the podcast. It was uh, the movie review for the movie The Burning. And um, to date, it's the most downloaded episode that I've released. Of all movies, The Burning. I I would not have seen that coming. It was a nice surprise. Um, I... I I'm able to watch the analytics of the show now and I see different things. I see the audience of the show now that it's, you know, I have listeners in the UK. I have listeners in Ireland. I have listeners in Spain. Um, Spain kind of blows me away. If you're listening in Spain, like that's totally awesome. And it's like, you know, like I was, I've been telling a couple of my friends, I'm like, Shit, I'm like the greatest representative of Canada, aren't I? Because I've got such a crappy attitude sometimes. But <laughs> it's like, I I was floored, and of course, like I, I I was on a week vacation from my crappy day job. I say day job. I work midnights, but whatever. It's a job that I just don't care about. But <laughs> it's like, I was I, I had a week off from that. And I I released The Burning, and I mean, like, I, I knew people would listen to the episode and whatnot, but I, like I said, like, The Burning of all movies that I've reviewed, that was the one I, I least expected that for, and the numbers were, they just kept piling up, and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, did I all of a sudden get good at this or something? Like, I mean, I take my pride in being, like, you know, the stupid guy that pretends he's smart, but... it's like, you know, and I've been, I've been telling a couple of my friends, like, I'm like, well, I I guess I need to stop the joke of, I only have two listeners, because clearly I have more than that, and it's completely, I know I say the word completely a lot, but it's just, I'm, I'm completely floored, like, it, it was just, it was so awesome, so before we get into this, this awesome movie, uh, talking about it and whatnot and just a lot of the history and the trivia to it and stuff like that. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody. I, I, I believe I said it even last week too, but I, I have to say it again because it it's just it's so amazing, you know, like I've been podcasting now for well, it'll be five years in July that I've been podcasting through different podcasts and whatnot and to finally hit that point where I'm starting to actually feel like I know what I'm doing and I kind of get it now and stuff like that. And, and then to see that the audience is growing, it's like, wow, like this is really cool. Um, so it, from, uh, from my dead in black heart, basically, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. Now, with that being said, there is a lot to talk about with the gate, so I'd better get into it. um, Again, like I said, The Gate is a fan request from Nicole Woods. So thank you, Nicole, for requesting this. Because they're here and they want to meet your neighbors. Um, that was actually a tagline for this movie. The movie is The Gate. The Gate. So, first... Uh, first released in the UK... The UK got it first, believe it or not, April 21st, 1987. And then North America saw its release about a month later, May 15th, 1987. As I said earlier, this is a Canadian film uh, shot in Toronto with uh, some of the special effects, uh, the molding and the creations of the the creatures and whatnot, some of the uh, makeup effects that they did and whatnot was done in Los Angeles. But this is primarily a Canadian film uh, directed by... Tibor Takis. Um, he also did um quick, quick run through of some of his resume. He's done movies like I, Madman. Uh, he did The Gate 2. Uh, Bad Blood, which was a movie with Lorenzo Lamas. He did four episodes of The Outer Limits in 1995. He did two episodes of The Crow, Stairway to Heaven series. He did the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch TV movie. Um, trivia on that, Ryan Reynolds was part of that movie. Remember that? I know I actually don't. I didn't see the movie. I, I just found that out and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, and then he also did the uh, TV film that followed up with that, uh, followed up um, Sabrina Goes to Rome, which uh, Tara Strong was in that movie. Tara Strong, famously known for being the voice of Harley Quinn. And Another film he did was Killer Rats with uh, Sarah Downing and Ron Perlman. I felt I should mention that because we just talked about Ron not too long ago. Uh, kind of cool thing about Tibor, uh, he said when he was making the movie The Gate that um, because he's originally from Hungary, and uh, he said that in order to get inspiration for this film, he remembered stories he was told as a child about like different um. Hungarian like um, I guess like urban legends and whatnot um, stories about vampires and monsters and stuff like that so he took like some of that inspiration from his childhood and put it towards uh, creating this film because technically this film is meant to be a family film even though it's also a horror film in its, its own right. Uh, the story, the screenplay, the the written word of this movie was done by Michael Nankin. Nankin is awesome to listen to, by the way. He has some really cool stories. He also wrote the sequel for this, The Gate 2. Um, he worked on a lot of TV projects. And there are a lot of TV projects that... Myself and a lot of my friends and and fans of the show and stuff like that that I know that they all like these shows shows like the Dresden Files, uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, uh, Battlestar Galactica, and its follow up Caprica. Um, is it Caprica or Caprisa? I think it's Caprica. That's how it's pronounced. I know. I, I'm honest. I, I'll be honest with you. I never watched it. <laughs> I know. Shame on me. But. Um, He did, uh, I think he did two episodes of Heroes, Uh, the show The Exorcist, the TV show that was on Fox, he worked on that, he worked on two CWDC shows, The Flash and Stargirl, and he also worked on the Van Helsing TV series. Now, as I said, he had a lot of great stories, Um, there was a lot of interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff I watched in preparing for this episode, and he had some really awesome, he was really fun to listen to, actually. Uh, specifically when it came to uh, him talking about how he wrote the story and how he wanted to bring fear to the screen. Um, He said the one thing that he tried to use uh, when he was writing this was his own sense of fear, you know, the things that he was afraid of, things that, that scare him. He says because you can't scare others if you don't know yourself how you would be scared. So he took his own fears, childhood fears, um, along with the fact that at the time he was writing the screenplay, he was also unemployed and divorced. He was in the middle of a divorce at the time. So he was angry, he was depressed, he was frustrated, and he was scared. So he took all of those emotions and put it into this screenplay. And I think it worked really well, actually. Um, so yeah, just both him and Tibor, the, the way they approached this this movie, they took like their childhood and basically said, okay, how do we put this on the screen? You know, um, the producer for the the film was John Kemeni. Um Primarily, did a lot of documentaries. Uh, he was a producer for a lot of documentaries, and I think he started like around like sixty six or sixty seven or something like that, nineteen sixty seven. And he did a lot of documentaries right up until about nineteen seventy four, when he uh, he then produced the movie uh, The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. And afterwards, he went on to do also other films like uh, A Quest for Fire. Uh, he did The Wraith. Love The Wraith. Um, he didn't know where to hide. Iron Eagle 2, and The Gate 2. He did sadly pass away of cancer back in 2012. Um, November 23rd, 2012 is when John passed away. Funny story about John that I, I, I had to share with this When I, I, I was watching one of the behind the scenes uh, things. And I forget who it was that was talking about. It. I think it was like the assistant director or whatever was saying that apparently while they were filming, there was one night that they were really struggling to get the film shoot going. Like I guess they had the cast working one spot and then half of the other cast was working another spot and then they would have to switch them and back and forth and stuff like that. And it ended up, it became like quite a bit of a lull. So John approached the, I want to, I want to say it was the assistant director or the director of photography. It was one or the other walked up to them basically. And was like, what's going on here? Why is why is this so slow? And they tried to explain the situation and he got right in their face and he's like, keep shooting, keep shooting. Don't stop. No matter what happens, don't shot, don't stop. Keep shooting. So he gets right in their face. And then when he goes to take a step back, well, there was like a part of the set that wasn't it wasn't secured properly. And this was a set that I guess was like three or four tiers high. So it ended up anyways, apparently he takes a step back and the set collapsed underneath him and he fell down three stories. And you know, the whole crew, they were all like, Oh my God, is he okay? And they're talking about, it and they're like, well, we kind of looked down and we we're like really scared. Cause like, he just dropped like three, three stories down on top of another special effect that they were going to use. Uh, during one of the film shoots and they look down and all of a sudden they hear in this faint little voice keep shooting keep shooting even though the man just fell three stories was kind of injured he was still worried about them keeping uh like making sure that they kept shooting for the film so in other words he was okay but it just is it's funny when they tell the story and you're picturing it in your mind this man that's like in their face and then takes a step back and three-story plunge and he's still focused on you need to keep shooting <laughs> so that it's pretty it was a funny story i thought i'd share it cinematography for the film was done by thomas bamos and he also was from budapest hungary he did a lot of foreign work a lot of french films a lot of french documentaries and whatnot a lot of movies that i couldn't pronounce so i was like you know what paul don't make a fool of yourself just don't write them down <laughs> Just let people know he did a lot of work. Um, Now, moving on to special effects. There's a lot of people that were involved in the special effects of this movie. So what I did, which it's kind of the first time I've done this, I kind of went through the list and looked at what each person did and kind of picked out the ones that I thought should be talked about, which, to be fair, the whole crew did a, a killer job on this movie. But there's a few names that stood out primarily and first off Randall William cook or sometimes goes by a Randy cook. Um, first off he, uh, other films he's done now, but prior to doing this, he had just come off doing ghostbusters. He did bright night. Uh, and he did the thing with John, John Carpenter's the thing. So he had worked on some big movies prior to doing this. Um, but he also worked on the sequel to this gate Two. um, The first two subspecies films, um, what is it, subspecies and, (sighs) I'm not familiar with those movies, but um, I think, what was it, Blood Something is the second one or whatever. Anyways, he worked on the first two of those. Um, I know somebody's listening to this going, you idiot, you don't know these movies? No, (laughs) I clearly don't. Um, I know of them, I've never actually watched them. Uh, He also worked on Cue the Winged Serpent, which that's awesome movie, I love that movie so much he worked on Poltergeist 2, Puppet Master 2 and 4 and then, this is really interesting, so he also worked special effects for all three of the Lord of the Rings films, the first three, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King, he also was the actor they used to portray the cave troll in Fellowship of the Ring Now, I know a lot of that was also digital compositing over top of it and whatnot, but he was the actual human body they used to make the motions of the cave troll. So that's really cool. Uh, Again, another one that's uh, he's very interesting to listen to. Um, He has a lot of cool stories and whatnot. Um, But yeah, I know in this in The Gate he's uh, the, the one scene where there's like you see Steven Dorf's hand and there's the eye and the hand and whatnot. it's actually uh, Randy Cook's hand and his own eye that he composited into that to make it look like it's kind of cool it was awesome just hearing all the different special effects he's done uh, another one that was did a lot of the effects for this movie is Craig Reardon um, other films that he's worked on as well uh, movies like Seventh Sign Child's Play 3 uh the 1998 Godzilla with Matthew Broderick he worked on Ghosts of Mars and then he's done a ton of special like like makeup he's done a lot of makeup work um on like a crap load of movies uh including and I'll try and get through this really fast Eatin' Alive, Altered States, The Fun House, American Werewolf in London, Poltergeist, The Goonies, Weird Science, The Gate 2, Uh, several of the alien nation TV films. He worked on the movie volcano 13 ghosts, and he's worked on TV series like X-Files and Buffy the vampire slayer. So a very busy man in the special effects and makeup world. Also, there was Mark Wilson who worked on films like one dark night. The reason I bring Mark Wilson up though, is because one of the things that he was responsible for, he worked on a nightmare on Elm street part three. He's the one that created the whole marionette scene when uh, the the one kid gets his arms and his legs like, you know, Freddy cuts them open and uses the banes as like a marionette and whatnot. He actually created that sequence. So that's pretty cool. He also worked with Rick Baker on Gremlins 2. Um, he worked on Big Trouble in Little China, Evil Dead 2, Beetlejuice, uh, Bra- uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola one from 1992, and he worked on the movie Virus from 1999. Finally, John Baker was... Uh, part of the special effects crew but the funny thing is is the reason why i'm bringing up his name is not because of him but because of his wife trisha trisha was primarily responsible for the wardrobe and costume department but then she had another role she was also the uncredited child wrangler basically so in other words you've got there's a lot of kids in this movie you know a lot of teenagers and young kids and whatnot Stephen dorf was i think 12 years old when he did this movie and whatnot her responsibility uncredited responsibility was that she had to make sure that all the child actors were on set on time and ready to go at all times she was basically their 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 babysitter on top of being responsible for the wardrobe and costume department um, and her husband, John, was busy doing the special effects. So that's why I kind of brought him up, was more or less to lead into the funny story of, you know, poor Trisha here, who not only does she have to worry about wardrobe and costumes, but she also has to basically be the glorified babysitter. Uh the music for this movie was done by Michael Honig and J. Peter Robinson. So they've done a lot of done a lot of movies separately there was two movies they did together. This one and The Wraith. I was like, okay, so basically you did two of my most favorite movies from the 80s, um, and the music was done by both of them. The music also, I might add now, is available for streaming online through YouTube and Spotify, and I believe Apple as well. Terror Vision Records uh, recently released it on vinyl. And it's the first time it's ever been released on vinyl, and just this past uh it was May twentieth, I think Spotify and YouTube and Apple and other uh streaming sources all picked up the digital versions so that you can stream this now if you'd like uh to listen to the soundtrack music. Soundtrack music for this movie is wonderful, so I thought I would mention that. Uh, now, separately, Honig, he also, uh, Michael Honig worked on films like The Blob, I, Madman, Class of 1999, and Dracula 3000. And then J. Peter Robinson, he worked on movies like Return of the Living Dead 2, Cocktail, Blind Fury, The Wizard, Wayne's World, uh, West Craven's New Nightmare, Highlander, The Final Dimension, I'm not a fan of the sequels, but I thought I'd mention it. Uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. And he did six episodes of Tom McFarlane's uh, Spawn from HBO. Now moving on to the starring cast. Starring cast for this film. So let's start with Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff, this was his first feature film. Although he was in an episode of Different Strokes before this. But technically, in terms of movies and you know the big screen and everything, this was his first. And then he'd go on to do one of my all-time favorite '90s movies, uh, *Judgment Night*, a film with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Jeremy Piven, Dennis Leary, um, Steven Dorf, uh, Emilio Estevez. That's so, uh, a fucking great movie and with a really good soundtrack I might add as well um so he went on to do that he also was in the movie SFW with uh Reese Witherspoon uh who else was in that Joey Lauren Adams was in that uh Jake Busey was in it uh so she was in that she was or she he was in that I'm thinking Reese Witherspoon all of a sudden I'm like I'm not talking about Cruel Intentions right now but anyways (laughs) I watched that movie recently um he was also in Blood and Wine with uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, Space Truckers, <laughs> which is a Stephen Gordon flick that um, also okay. So George Wendt was in that one. Jason O'Mara, who would go on to voice Batman, and he was in Terranova and whatnot. Dave- Debbie Mazars in Space Truckers and Charles Dance, they're all in that. Um, Stephen Dorff was in also. He was also in Fear.Com, Alone in the Dark. He was in the 2017. Um, movie of Leatherface and of course you didn't think I was going to go without saying this one, he was in Blade in 1998 and he was, to, to date that's probably my favorite role of his is him as Deacon Frost uh, absolutely fucking love him as Deacon Frost moving on to his sister in the movie uh, Krista Denton, she plays Al or Alexandra um, so she didn't do a whole lot of work uh 17 roles total um mainly tv work and i don't even think she's acting still now uh, but some of the work that she did do she was on uh earlier tv shows like growing pains and silver spoons from the 80s so for all of us who remember those shows yes yeah, she was in that she was in those shows but this is pretty much her big role right here was in the gate lewis trip as Terry Chandler, um, so, not a lot of acting, uh, pretty much his big roles are The Gate and The Gate 2, um, he did both The Gate films, he is, uh, he does have his own industrial band though, um, and I guess now he's going, he's not even calling himself Louis Tripp anymore, he's, his name is now Bath Tripp, B-A-P-H-T-R-I-P-P, Bath Tripp. It's like okay, what are you like? You know, are you Mike Tyson now talking? I, I'm gonna go on a bath trip. Like I don't know. It sounded kind of funny. Anyways, I shouldn't make fun of Mike Tyson. He could kick my ass. But anyways, um, so yeah, I guess he he no longer goes by the name of Lewis. But anyways, pretty much he's he's known as Terry, and that was his that was his big to do in movies and whatnot. Uh, Kelly Rowan as Lori Lee. And Jennifer Irwin as Linda Lee. They were the two, I guess, twin sisters or whatever. The ones that, you know, Terry's like, you know, it'd be better if you guys would just shut up. It, those, those ones. Anyways, Kelly, was. she's primarily known from the TV series The O.C., but she was also in Hook with Robin Williams. She was in Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, and she was in the movie 187 with Samuel L. Jackson and John Hurd. John Hurd of Chud. I know everyone's like home alone. No chud. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) and Jennifer Irwin as Linda Lee, uh, quite recently she's been in uh, a few TV series that are pretty popular these days or were in the last couple of years. Uh, the Goldbergs, I zombie and superstore. She was also in the TV series still standing. And, um, most familiar with me most recently, she was in uh, the Mortuary Collection, uh, the Shutter film with that uh, has Clancy Brown in it. Um, so, yeah, she was in that. Moving on to Mom and Dad. And it's kind of funny because they really didn't have names in this one. They were just Mom and Dad. But Mom was played by Deborah Grover. Um, She was mainly a TV actress. Um, However, she was in Stephen King's Bag of Bones. Uh, It was a miniseries that also starred Pierce Brosnan, Jason Priestley, uh, Annabeth Gish, and Matt Frewer. I remember Matt Frewer being in it. Um, And Scott Denton as Dad. So the cool thing about... Scott he was uh, born in London Ontario which is where I was born so I thought that was kind of cool I was like oh hey someone from my birth town that's awesome Uh, but he was also in the movie The Virgin Suicides with um, Mary Jane Watson Kirsten Dunst I was trying to think I was like her name's not Mary Jane but Kirsten Dunst was in that um, and he was in the 2001 sci-fi thriller *Exchange* with uh, Stephen Baldwin, Kim Coates, and Kyle MacLachlan. Okay, so Carl Cranes. Carl Cranes in this movie is the workman. He is the zombie-like character that's trapped in the walls, that he comes out and then torments the kids. He was also in the 1982 movie The Slayer, um, which is uh, Satan has an assassin. His name is The Slayer. That was the tagline for that movie. Anyways, he was the Slayer. So um, another person that was very interesting to listen to when he was talking, he was talking about how his job, not only was he the the workman, but he also was the one who had to help everyone get rid of their Canadian accents. He basically had to de-Canadianize all the Canadian actors and make sure that they talked, quote-unquote, American. And it's funny because... I. I don't know. I guess it's because I live so close to the United States. I don't notice it here, but supposedly, us Canadians, Americans, seem to think we say a boot. Um, I know, like when I say the word there, it always comes up there, dare, and it always. I know that, and that's that's me being lazy and not pronunciating my words properly. But it's like. <laughs> It was funny because when I was listening to his interview and he was talking about it and he's like, yeah, I had to help them not say a boot. And I'm like, but we don't actually say that. Like, (laughs) I don't know where this comes from, but maybe it's because I live across the river from Detroit and over here in Windsor. We're we're kind of like Canadian, but we are part American because of so much American influence. I don't know. Like, but I've never actually noticed Canadians saying a boot like but it's a it's an american thing like even joe bob briggs has made jokes about it and like different talk show hosts like whenever they're talking to someone from canada it's like oh so you guys a boot you talk like a boot and it's like i don't know i didn't notice it but he, he mentioned that too even in his interview um and he was sort of like also the part-time babysitter as well like because he did a lot of the acting scenes with the kids so he had to also babysit them as well so it's kind of cool uh finally andrew gunn as brad i mentioned him he's not he he acted in five roles Uh, he didn't do a lot this was his big one however he went on to do a lot of producing and he produced movies like the haunted mansion sky high bad santa 2 and most recently that new movie coming out cruella which I have no desire to see, but apparently this is a thing, and we all care about Cruella De Vil, and Emma Stone is Cruella, and okay, whatever. But yeah, he he produced that, so I thought I'd mention it because that movie is just coming out, and it's like okay, so he's very recent in you know movie news and whatnot. The Gates runtime is one hour and twenty-five minutes. It was rated PG-13 for violence, language, and frightening scenes. The budget was six million. And the box office was 13.5 mil. So, not too bad. It doubled what it spent. Uh, And 6 mil, I mean, yeah, we've seen movies that are lower budget than that, but considering what the special effects look like in this movie, it's hard to believe it's a $6 million movie. The synopsis. So, the synopsis for this film is as follows. Haunting visions fill a once peaceful home as two teens discover an unholy evil that waits below. Best friends, Glenn and Terry, stumble across a special rock with a beautiful crystalline center in Glenn's backyard. The rock enthralls them, and they dig up the family's newly sodded lawn in a search for more of the precious stones. They find no stones. They find the gate a hidden underground chamber that holds the secrets of centuries and the vengeance of eternity. They've unlocked deadly demons and ghoulish beings out to create a hell on earth. The kids' worst nightmares chase them through the haunted night. The gate must be closed before it's too late. Alright, and as for this segment, I'm calling this Another Walk Through the Gates of Hell because... You got to consider, I talked about Constantine, Constantine dealt with hell, talked about Spawn, Spawn dealt with hell. Now we're talking about the gate and again, another portal to fucking hell. (laughs) So I call this another walk through the gates of hell. So the story goes like this. It's like this. Okay, so Glenn has this dream. He's laying in bed. He has this nightmare, this dream, that the tree in his backyard gets hit by lightning. And this is after he's like, in his dream, he's gone through his house and his sister's not there. His parents aren't there. And everything looks like they just disappeared off the face of the earth. And he has this dream. And in his backyard, his tree gets hit with lightning and it collapses and it falls over. And then he wakes up. And he wakes up and he sees that in the backyard, the tree is being dug up and cut away and they're going to newly sod the ground. And then his friend Terry comes over. And while they're in the backyard, they discover this rock, this this thing, that, that according to Terry could make them rich. And they want to find more. They want to find more, so they're going to, you know, they dig up the backyard and dig in the hole. and Then the parents make them, you know, fill the hole back up. And sister, Alexandra, Al, wants to have a party, so she wants her parents to let her babysit Glenn. And, you know, not to mention she's a teenager. She wants to prove she can be responsible and whatever. So she has her party. Glenn gets freaked out because they do this levitation thing. And then he Glenn also has his own like Klaatu Barada Nikto moment, like in the movie where like there's like these words that are like scribed on his magic slate paper saver. Remember those? from the 80s the magic paper slate things it was like you had like the little pen with the the it was almost like a carbon kind of paper and you wrote on it and then you'd lift the paper and you put it back down and it would erase what was there and you could write on it again and stuff like that yeah so he's got one of those and like these words come up and it's not Klaatu nick to it's like something else but it just it reminds me of Evil Dead when I when I see that part Anyway, so he 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 basically says this incantation thing without realizing he's done it. The kids do the levitation thing at the party. Uh, The dog apparently becomes the the sacrifice, the family sacrifice. And then there's like this record that they also have that, you know, by sacrifice that explains about this whole like unholy incantation thing and whatnot. Anyways, somehow or another, they bring forth the minions of hell and their grand leader from beyond the gate. And you say, so what is the gate? So the gate is the portal to hell, not hell, Michigan, which is where this movie had its original preview, um, which was October 27th, 1986. So technically this movie is an 86 movie, but it didn't get mass distribution till 87. But anyways, this gate is a portal to hell. Not Hell, Michigan, but the one where evil resides. It's all about evil. It's all about Satan and the devil and demons and all that other shit. And you have three tiers of evil. There's our, our manifestations. I think that was the word that, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the screenplay writer. Michael something and fuck. I'm horrible with fucking names. You guys know this. Anyways, I think that was what he was saying, is like they're like manifestations uh that, you know, come from the gate you know, the gate to hell. And anyways, there's three tiers. He he created this in his in in his own mind before he even approached the screenplay. He said you have the first tier, which is the the collection of the fears of the children, uh the culmination, the Bringing together of all their fears. For example, they have fears of like angry parents, um, Angus dying, the dog dying, um, Terry's mother having died, and his subsequent anger from it. Um, and then there's the whole fear of the workman that's trapped in the walls of their house and whatnot. So you have that. That there's the basis of fear. Then you have tier two, which is the minions, the little monsters that come from the gate. You know, they're they're there to welcome their master as as the big guy will come to the earth and whatnot. And I might also add, these are like cool mini- minions. It's not this Despicable Me shit where like they're very annoying little meme characters on the internet. No, these these minions are actually cool. And then you have the third tier, which is the Demon Lord. He is the, the ultimate leader of this little cult thing of minions and whatnot. Giant gargantuan. You know, he comes through the portal to claim his sacrifices. Uh, Originally, I guess, when they were creating the screenplay, he was supposed to be made of bloody entrails in the original cut. But they kind of went with more like this, like he's just like a, a super duper minion with like multiple arms and stuff like that. So... The minions themselves were small... They're supposed to be small, demonic little minions, but actually they were played by full-grown actors in rubber suits and then shot in that forced perspective kind of way with the camera. It's a trick that's still used to this day, uh, famously known to have been used in The Lord of the Rings for The Hobbits and whatnot. Um, stop-motion animation was also used in the movie for the minions, but yeah, like they were explaining... like. Sometimes a shot would take them like up to like, you know, a half hour or an hour just to get ready because they had to have the camera set just right. Because while the kids would be up like, you know, almost two stories high, and then you had the actors down low on a floor that They're full size down on the floor, but the way the camera was angled, they would make them look like they were miniature little men and stuff. And like they were saying, sometimes it would take up to like an hour just to get that camera to line up just perfectly and whatnot. So as I mentioned earlier about, you know, with John Kameni saying like, keep shooting, keep shooting. Sometimes the lulls were in that period where they were trying to make sure everything was lined up properly. There's a lot of references to music in this. Um, So for example... The logo on the back of Terry's jacket is that of the Killer Dwarfs. Killer Dwarfs was a heavy metal band from Toronto, Ontario. Um, they used to get a lot of airplay on Much Music back in the day, especially on... Yeah, for those of you who remember, Much Music had... Um, originally, it was the Power 30. Or it, it was either the Power Thirty First and then turned into the Power Hour, or it was the other way around. I can't remember which bothers me sometimes, but whatever. Um, Anyways, it was sponsored by Pepsi. So it was always the Pepsi Power 30 or the Pepsi Power Hour. And it was telecast on weekdays and weekends and whatnot. Killer Dwarfs were on there quite often. Um, The other thing that's kind of interesting about the character of Terry and his, his alignment with the whole music of the movie and whatnot is his room is very reminiscent of Ragman's room in Trick or Treat. You remember in the movie Trick or Treat from 1986, Ragman was like totally into heavy metal as well. He had posters all over his wall. He had the stereo system. You know, he just had to want to have the music blaring and rock out and whatnot. Well, Terry is a lot like that. Um, There's also one scene um, in the film where Terry is seen wearing a patch on his vest from the band Venom and at one point he's also wearing I think it's the same time he's also wearing a Masters of the Universe shirt like an authentic one from the 80s none of these like you know oh hey this is like a throwback to Masters of the Universe from the 80s no this is this came out in 1987 was filmed in 86 he's wearing a fucking Masters of the Universe shirt from the time it was on TV Uh, but anyways getting back to the whole Venom thing The Gate came out in 1987 this was one year before Tony Dolan joined the band Venom um when his former band, Adam Craft, had just disbanded. The reason I bring this up is because, without me actually knowing back then, I've actually met Tony Dolan. um, Back when I I was... Oh, I'm trying to think. So, 87, I would have been about 12 years old. So, I was about 11 at the time when I met him. And um, one of our neighbors in this... We were living in this apartment complex back in the day, and one of our neighbors, the... There was a, a, like a wife and a husband and their two kids. The wife was the sister of Tony Dolan. So he had come to Canada to hang out with them for a bit and whatnot. And we ended up, we got to meet them and I got to listen to him play bass and everything like that. I had no clue that he was part of the band Venom until I got a little bit older. And then I found out and I'm like, oh shit. So that's always been something that I thought was kind of cool because when I see anything with Venom, I'm like, I actually met a member of them like, uh, their band, like, cause he was with the band Venom, what is it, 1988 to 92, I think, like, it was four or five years he was with the band, so it's kind of cool that I can say, like, I met him and I knew him and stuff, um, and also the reason why they, the Venom patch is relevant in the movie because, uh, originally they had written a song called The Seven Gates of Hell, and since this is a movie about a gate that leads to hell, Um, they felt it was you know kind of like a nice little nod to the band for having a song about the gates of hell. Um, again, also a song that got a lot of airplay on the Power Hour and the Power Thirty, which was hosted by Teresa Roncon. I know I'm really showing my age when I remember all this shit because like half and half of you guys listening aren't even going to know who Teresa Roncon is. But back in the day when we were like little horny little teenagers. A lot of us had a crush on her. So um, she was pretty hot. In keeping with the topic of music, Sacrifice. So, okay. So in the movie, they've got that record album. And, you know, that's where Terry gets all the the information about the the incantation and whatnot. And it's from the band Sacrifice. Sacrifice is not a real band. However, the logo and the basis of the band came from an actual real-life Toronto-based band um, known as Sacrifice. Who, I might add, recorded a song called Reanimation. Reanimation was used as the opening theme for duh, 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 The Power Hour on Much Music. So you can see how like all of this all ties in like this nice little tight circle where everything just keeps all staying together. Now, the song that we hear in the movie that's supposedly played by the band Sacrifix is actually not by sacrifice or anything to do with that at all. It's actually done a music done by Vince Carlucci, uh, in particular, his band station twang. Um, and the song is called love will find a way, which by the way, just so you know, now it's the closing track for this week's episode. Vince was once part of a Canadian punk band known as the cardboard brains before all of this. And through him being part of that band and, Tibor the director was known to have done like certain like video work and whatnot for s- some of the punk bands in Canada anyways Tibor's and Vince's paths crossed at one point and I I can't remember the name of the band where they were talking about like how they they knew each other through this one band but I, I can't remember the name of the band Um, anyways so they crossed paths they became friends and when this Movie came along. Tibor looked to Vince and asked him to sort of help with the music and create like somewhat of a song that they could use in the movie. And that hence became the song "Love Will Find a Way," not performed by Sacrifice, even though Sacrifice is somewhat the basis for the band Sacrifice, which is the whole thing, <laughs> the whole like album and whatnot in this movie. So it all it's it all interlinks and whatnot. Um, there's a, a website called Stereo Gum. They have a full article that they published back in October of 2020 about the whole Sacrifice story. It's actually quite a cool read if you want to like look it up. Um, I, I Moving on, let's let's move on past the music now into the acting. The kid actors, uh, specifically Stephen Dorff, uh, Lewis and Krista, uh, they're perfect. And when you listen to like the crew and the other the other actors and the the director and the ad and everybody everybody talking about these kids, they were totally enamored by the kids, totally pulled in. They absolutely loved working with them. Um, they have nothing but good things to say about the kids. A lot of focus always gets put on movies like the Monster Squad and the Goonies, and you know, at, at E.T. You know, for their younger uh, acting roster and whatnot, but. Uh, I, the gate is up there, man. Like they, For a little low-budget flick out of Canada, uh, this one plays just as convincingly, and it's just as fun as the other ones mentioned. I might also mention that just recently, a certain movie has uh, really been getting a lot of love from horror fans around the world. Uh, a little movie called Psycho Gorman," and it's kind of interesting how much Psycho Gorman borrowed from this movie. I mean, think about it you have two kids discover a hole in the background in the backyard that has a little trinket and it's a link to demonic monsters who are out to take over the world. Sound familiar? Like, and you know, it, it, obviously psycho Gorman has its differences from the gate as well. Like, I mean, and fuck psycho Gorman has like so many different references to every movie from Jurassic park to fucking aliens. Like, I mean, like it, they're all over the place, but it's just that whole idea of, like, the hole that's in the backyard, and the parents tell them to close it up, and then it reopens itself again, and out comes the horrors that the kids now have to deal with. It's just funny that, in terms of the gate, it was considered, like, a battle for them against the monsters, and in Psycho Gorman, the little girl just picks up the amulet and goes, oh, I own you, bitch, <laughs> so... Kind of different, obviously. Um, Stranger Things again, also. And that's another show, obviously, inspired by parts of this movie as well. The special effects from this movie are very mind-blowing, uh, especially when you take into consideration that everything is practical. It's all about tricking the eye. It's all about the, the camera, the forced, uh, perse- forced perspective, the stop-motion animation. It's all about you know angles and lighting and everything. There's a lot they had to do on a low budget and they made it work um okay maybe a few of the scenes seem dated but when you've got a good story and scares that you know are genuine scares like it's not just jump scares in this movie there's some really cool tension that builds up and whatnot when you have all of that playing for you the special effects are obviously what randy cook does with this movie is he took a little and he made a lot out of it um which is awesome. But I mean, it, the story is what really sells this movie. Um, and I'm not going to lie. Okay. So like even going back to the first time I ever saw the movie, which was on cable TV. I remember it was on first choice movie network I'm showing my age again. Cause that hasn't been around for <laughs> a good couple decades, but um, it was first choice movie network. And I remember I saw it and I think it was like 88 or 89 when I saw it for the first time. And the scene where they lead you to believe that Angus is dead or, you know, was he dead and just allowed to come back to life at the end of the film? I mean, it's kind of led, it's left to interpretation. But I remember when, you know, Terry thinks he sees his mom and he's hugging his mom and then you find out that it's, it's Angus that he's holding and he, he drops Angus to the ground and then Glenn comes over and he just like, sort of like overtop Angus. And he's like, you know, so grief stricken that he just lost his dog. I remember like that fucking, that scene like upset the fuck out of me. Like I remember like the first time watching it and I was crying over that. I was like, that is like so sad. I couldn't imagine like going through that. And then years later, I not obviously like that, but I, I've had pets die in my arms, and it's like, wow, like, that's what, I I guess the reason why I bring that up is, yes, it's upsetting, but it also brings me to my final point about this movie, and that is that, first, I mean, okay, it's a family film, for sure, I mean, PG-13, you're gonna get what you get with a PG-13 movie, so it's not gonna focus on gore or sex or nudity, and the language is kept at a fair level, that's fine, But what works about this movie is that some of the scares are still scary, nonetheless, especially when you're younger. As you're older, obviously you kind of laugh things off, but to a younger crowd, there's some scary shit in this movie. And it deals with issues that a lot of us have had to deal with or have since dealt with, um, the loss of family, the loss of a pet, abandonment issues. Uh, you take the case of Al or Alexandria or Alexandra, I think is how she pronounces it in the movie. Um, You know, the whole idea of growing up, wanting to have some responsibility, young love and lust, you know, um, these are all relatable stories. And they can also be huge fears when we're in our younger ages. We all know ourselves when we're teenagers. Everything is life and death. We think of everything as, oh, my God, my life is a complete hell. It's over. I'm done with. I mean, even in your 20s, you know. I remember shit happening when I was in my twenties and I was like, Oh my God, my life is over. I'm completely done. I'm toast. And then you hit your thirties and your forties and your fifties. And you start to just let shit slide off. At that point you start to realize you're like, fuck it. Who cares? You know, but when you're that young, everything is life or death. And that's what this movie really works on is the fact that these kids, like everything is life and death. Like, there's that whole scene where like, you know, Glenn, Steven Dorf's character, Glenn is like, okay, look, I can't live without everybody. I can't have you taking everyone away from me. Take me instead. Let them live because I can't live without them. And it's like, yeah, like when you're that young, that is that enormous. Um, and I mean, okay, I'm not going to focus a whole lot on like what critics thought about this movie because of the critics, it was up and down. Like some really enjoyed this. Some felt it was a copycat. They felt it, it it stole from Steven Spielberg and Stephen King, you know, what was stand by me and stuff like that. And it's like, you know what, like that I we could say the same thing about Psycho Gorman and Stranger Things, but there, it's not. It's 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 you know, we take an idea and we go, Okay, well, I'm gonna do it this way, you did it your way, I'm gonna do it like this. It's similar, but it's different. Um I mean, the thing is is that this movie has a it has a very strong cult following as well. I mean, even in the the I have the best strong collectors um collector series edition uh ray and I mean the it's jammed with extras. there's a ton of stuff. but I believe it was the interview I could be quoting the wrong person, but I believe it was Trisha Baker who said that thirty years after the release of this movie. And people are still talking about it. They're still watching it and they're still loving it and still buying it. And, you know, at at conventions, people always want to know about the movie and stuff like that. I mean, that's saying something that's saying that this movie had staying power for a 600, for a $6 million movie that, you know, has special effects that make it look like it costs more and it didn't like they, they really worked with what they had and they made it work well. I mean, It's hard to knock a movie like that. I mean, there are critics that did. But in terms of like fans, like I I have yet to actually even read a fan review that complained about this movie. And that's saying something. Because today, nowadays, you'll always find at least one asshole who hates a movie. And I haven't seen it with this one. The podcast zero rating is very easy for me to determine. It's easy for me to nail this one down. I mean... This is one movie that I have no qualms about saying this. I will. I own multiple formats of this. It is one of those I need all the formats kind of movie. It is definitely up there. I mean, if you can find them, if you have them, whatever. Myself, personally, I have a VHS recording of this that was from TV. I also have it on digital and I have it on the Blu-ray. Um, the movie for me if I'm going to grade the film, is a firm, nice little strong A+. It's it's awesome. This movie is so amazing. And even, yeah, okay, so it's meant for a younger audience, but I can tell you right now, as a 45-year-old man, I'm still delighted to watch this, and I was so glad it was requested because it gave me a reason to watch it. Not only once, but I watched it twice in the last week because it's just that much fun. This is a, it's a fun, silly little movie that it has some pretty serious moments, some scary moments, and it has some very relatable themes that we all can look back and go, man, like this, it's, it's an awesome movie. So yes, it's an a plus it's to give me all the fucking formats. Give them all to me. Um, it's, it's that great. And I also will say one last time, don't forget the soundtrack is now available in a physical format and on digital. Listen to the music, man. The music is gorgeous for this movie. And on that note, I can finally say to you all, thank you for listening. I'm going to add one last time also. Thank you, Nicole, for requesting this episode. This was so much fun. I really had a joy researching this one up. There was a lot of great interviews and special edition uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and just there's videos everywhere all over the internet for it and reviews to read and there was just a lot to take in but this is a a grand movie this is a lot of fun so thank you all for listening and thank you nicole for requesting it i have talked a lot so i need to shut up so we can all go back to doing nothing basically but i mean hey in some places of the world you're opening up and having fun again so you know keep it up if you're looking for the podcast, you can look on social media. You can look on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You will find it there. Um, you can also find it at the website, what podcast The podcast itself, you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, Audible, FM Player, Podbean, God, it's everywhere. Redcircle.com. Um, just you want know, I me mean, if you, honestly go on Google and search what Looks buying podcast zero and it'll send you to a whole bunch of different sites that all have the podcast um, make sure to recommend it to a friend if you know of someone that might want to listen to the show hey they, like I said after the last episode and I'm sitting here going there's this many people to listen to this show like what what did I do right all of a sudden like so make sure to you know recommend you know share it on your social media or whatever um i'm going to end okay so lurker's recommendation yes let's do one i'm gonna say it i'll just make this really quick army of the dead give it a shot okay um try to remember when you go into it that it's just it's it's a fun little zombie movie don't think too hard on it don't don't look for some hidden meaning, don't look you know, compare it to other movies or whatnot just watch it for what it is and enjoy it and I'm sure you'll probably find some fun in it somewhere ah, uh, the next movie review, next episode okay, so I'm gonna lead into it like this same year 1987, we're doing another one from 87 but it's a different kind of film Uh sort of in the realm of slashers maybe um again has ties in with some heavy metal music oh okay so it's that kind of movie um would it help if i said that the theme song for the movie was performed by the band Dawkin? uh-huh okay so yeah you probably know what the next movie is um this is a movie that I, I'm i picking. It, this is my uh, request to me <laughs> to review because I want to talk about this movie. So the next episode will be A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Yes. So now we're going to close out with that song by Vince Carlucci that I was talking about, Love Will Find a Way and that's about it for me I've done more than enough talking this is a little bit of an extra long episode this week so I uh, apologize for all the talking I've done but I wanted to make sure I gave you guys a nice good bull show for the week and on that note I'm going to close this out with Vince Carlucci love will find a way I know all the love that you guys have shown me by listening to the show lately has found its way to me and that means a lot so thank you so much for that On that note, I'm going to do what Al Pacino usually tells me to do, and that's what, Al? You need to shut the fuck up.